This story starts with a familiar scene, but an unlikely family. That's Thomas Klan, Schäfer Alfrag, and Franka Grösch. <laughs> We're sitting at their kitchen table and they're remembering the first day of living together. Schäfer is 24, she's a devout Muslim, and she lived in Syria before fleeing the war in 2015. She traveled first to Turkey, and then she took a rubber boat across the Aegean Sea to Greece, and then made her way through the Balkans and Austria before finally reaching Germany. Thomas and Franka are married. They're both in their late 40s. And they've spent most of their lives in former communist East Germany. And like most people who grew up and lived there, they're atheists. We're at their home in the suburbs of Frankfurt-Oder, and most people confuse this city with the more well-known finance hub, Frankfurt am Main, in the western part of the country. But this Frankfurt in the east could hardly be more different. For more than 40 years, from 1949 to 1990 to be exact, this part of the country was Soviet-dominated and almost entirely cut off from the outside world. Even three decades after the Berlin Wall fell, Eastern Germany remained incredibly homogenous, mostly working class, atheist, and white. That was until four years ago, when things began to change. German Chancellor Angela Merkel led over a million refugees and migrants into the country. Tired, bewildered children going from treacherous seas and crowded trains. A number of refugees and migrants arriving in Germany. And there's growing pressure too on the Chancellor. Angela Merkel, though, continues to insist her country can manage. Frankfurt took in more than 1,400 newcomers, many of them Muslim. For a lot of people here, that sped up the kind of changes that were already making them really uncomfortable. Because just like in the U.S., a lot of people here wanted to stop those changes and go back to the way things used to be. I'm Louisa Beck. I'm a reporter based in Berlin for The Washington Post. And this is All Told. I was born in East Germany, but left as a child first for West Germany and then for the United States. And this weird mix of anxiety and euphoria that many East Germans felt after the Berlin Wall fell is really familiar to me. It's been passed down through the stories my family tells about that time. Yeah, capitalism brought new promises, but it brought new unknowns too. And after reunification, many East Germans felt like they were on the losing side of history. They had lived under communism for 40 years, but suddenly their entire political system and its ideas were eradicated. And many people struggled to survive in this new capitalist world. So my colleague Griff Witte and I decided to head to Frankfurt-Oda because we wanted to know how newcomers have changed an eastern city that's still struggling with the long-term effects of reunification and how the newcomers, in turn, have been changed by Frankfurt. 
For Thomas and Franca, change started at this kitchen table. Before Shafa came to live with them, and I'll tell you about that later, Franca told me they had never thought that much about Islam. <laughs> but Thomas and Franca, they're the kind of people who embrace change with curiosity. So they started volunteering to get to know the newcomers, and they even started this organization that sent volunteers to the local hospital to teach refugees German. And that's how they met Shefa. Shefa shares the sense of curiosity and openness that Thomas and Franca have and that brought them to her. After just a couple of years here, she speaks nearly perfect German, and she even does something that many Germans are not very good at or at least known for, she cracks jokes in the language. Like, she is really funny. She's got that sass that made a lot of our conversations at the kitchen table sound like this. (laughs) But three years ago, before Thomas and Franca met her, Shefa was not doing so well. She'd been circling in and out of asylum shelters for nearly a year, And she said that she felt isolated there. She really missed her family. She struggled with recurring nightmares, with insomnia, depression. Eventually, she stopped eating. And it got so bad that the doctors at one of the shelters sent her to the hospital, the same one at which Franca and Tomas were organizing volunteers. They heard Shefa was begging the nurses not to send her back to the asylum shelter, so they visited her, and Thomas, who has this natural gift for making people feel at ease, tried out his Arabic on Shefa to say hello. Thomas's Arabic skills were maybe a bit rudimentary, but the two of them clicked. And knowing that Shefa had nowhere to go, Thomas and Franca offered to take her in. A few days later, they picked her up, got into a car, and started the drive home through a landscape that is very different from Damascus, where Shefa is from. Instead of packed streets and high-rises, there were fields and a wide open sky. Franka is telling the story of their drive when Shefa looked at the sky and told her, Look, Franka, Allah made that. God. And Franca was like, what? Growing up, she was taught that religion wasn't a thing of wonder, but opium for the masses. Franca wasn't alone in this culture shock. It was the first time Shefa met atheists, let alone divorced atheists who had remarried. <laughs> Thomas jokes back, We're living in a wild marriage. In these suburbs outside of Frankfurt, Shefa is the only foreigner. And it's hard for her to go unnoticed. She says she's the only person here wearing a headscarf. Besides the fields and trees and trimmed lawns, there's also a Confederate flag displayed in one of the neighbor's yards. It's a sign that some Germans use as a stand-in for swastikas or other symbols of white supremacy that are legally forbidden in the country. Shefa says that she received strange looks when she arrived in Frankfurt. 
And she says that once, while waiting at the bus stop, a couple of drunk neo-Nazis threatened her with beer bottles and derogatory insults. Two sober Germans were there too. They just sat there and watched. Heidi Pech would never throw bottles at foreigners, but she's no fan of them either. That's Heidi. She's 62 years old, and she's saying, I'm a real Frankfurter. I was born, grew up, and went to school here. Today, she's giving me a tour of the city. The city's changed, she says, but not for the better. When she's not cracking jokes or lighting another cigarette, she's airing her frustrations about what was lost when East Germany reunified with West Germany. The dancing halls where she used to waltz and foxtrot and tango have all been closed. And the bars whose owners she used to know have been replaced by burger joints she says she can't afford. Of course, she knows the East was far from perfect. Like, it wasn't always easy to buy things like cars and fruit. And there was constant surveillance. Dissidents were arrested. Some were even killed. But people forget what East Germans accomplished. Like, that they were among the world's top producers with their semiconductor plans, their steelworks and matchstick factories. But after reunification, those factories were closed down and outsourced across the border to Poland, where labor and production costs are cheaper. That's when the unemployment started, she said. And that's something she never experienced in East Germany. Back then, if you didn't work, you went to jail. She'd been working as a laundry washer, but in 1990, she lost her job too. And then her story took a turn. She slipped into alcoholism, her kids and family left her, and she bounced in and out of these various rehab programs until 2000 when she finally got sober. Part of what helped her, she says, was art therapy, which sparked her passion for arts and crafts. She says she's not an art critic, but she is definitely not shy about sharing her aesthetic opinions. We're in Frankfurt's main market square now, and Heidi is making fun of the new brightly colored water sculptures that the city installed there. What are those for statues here? Keine Ahnung. So what nennt sich Kunst. They call that art, she says, and pulls out this photo of the market square as it used to look when Frankfurt was still under communist rule. There were rows of fountains and flower beds that framed a concrete paved gathering space. But what she misses most, she says, was the sense of solidarity and social cohesion between people back then. Today, she says, it's every person for themselves. Another very visible sign of a changing East are foreigners. 
When Chancellor Angela Merkel kept the German borders open in 2015, refugees started coming into the city. And in nearby towns, volunteers who stood at stations with welcome signs were pitted against those who wanted them out. And in some parts of the East, there were even neo-Nazi rallies and violent attacks. Heidi would have never been one of those people marching at a neo-Nazi rally, but to her mind, foreigners took away the few jobs, the little money, and the housing the city had. She's telling me she had to move into temporary housing so that her landlord could renovate her flat. But it took over one and a half years because he was busy building housing for refugees. And she heard stories about women allegedly being attacked in parks by foreigners. So Heidi preferred not to interact with foreigners at all. But then she got in trouble with the law a couple years ago over an unpaid debt. And the judge gave her a choice. Yeah. Either you perform community service or you go to jail. She chose the service. She initially wanted to work at this communal living organization, but they were maxed out on volunteers. So they told her to go to this place that she had never heard of before. Brückenplatz, or bridge place. It's quite literally on the river that separates Frankfurt-Oder from Poland. And they said, go ask for this guy named Michael Kurzvalli. He's always looking for people. We are here in Frankfurt-Swobica at the Polish-German border, and uh, we deny the existence of this border. That's Michael Kurzvalli, the founder and director of Brückenplatz, or Slubford, as locals call it. Michael wears this hippie-ish-looking hat and has some pie-in-the-sky ideas. It's a kind of experimental space, a kind of laboratory to, uh, to try to develop other ways of society. He's half-artist, half-social worker, and he took this old abandoned school gym and turned it into a kind of international community center where everyone is welcome. It's a sort of make-believe for what society could be. This is the place where Heidi landed. She enters the door of the old school gym and sees a group of refugee men all sitting around a table. She says her first thought was, oh, what am I in for now? I don't like these foreigners, not one bit. The name Slubford is a hybrid between the name of the Polish town Slubice, which is just across the river Oda, and Frankfurt, the border town in eastern Germany. There's a communal garden, and inside the old school gym, there are these hallways that are painted with handprints in all sizes and colors. And everyone who comes here regularly to hang out gets a key and co-creates whatever happens in the space. There are soccer matches, bicycle repair shops, arts and crafts. 
And the Slubfurters have even made their own currency, a coat of arms, a parliament, and their own maps. I see it as a kind of process. The whole work of Swoopford is a social sculpture. And it is at the same time in questioning the structures that exist and trying to find alternative structures. Michael has been running a version of this project for almost 20 years. He wants it to be a sort of example for what's possible when a space opens up to everyone. When categories like nationality simply drop away and what you do matters more than where you're from. So some things we do sometimes may fail and sometimes things succeed. So we are an experiment. To Heidi's surprise, the refugees she met sitting around the table that day were polite and nice. They were friendly and courteous towards me, she says. She started doing arts and crafts with the children who came there and met Charlotte Sangwe, a mother of three from Cameroon. Charlotte came to get time away from a cramped asylum shelter. And so Heidi and Charlotte both became regulars. They didn't speak the same language at first, but used gestures with their hands and their feet to communicate. They're joking about Charlotte's plans to eventually move to Berlin. The job opportunities are better there, she says. Heidi, she doesn't want Charlotte to go. After Heidi finished her mandatory 60 hours of community service, she stayed. She says... She needs the feeling of being needed, a responsibility. At Slubford, she feels a sort of social cohesion that she longs for from East German times. She still doesn't fully endorse refugees in the city, but here, in Slubford at least, something happened that's becoming increasingly rare in a country that's becoming more and more polarized. Something that for a lot of Frankfurters is unthinkable. Heidi changed her mind. Okay, it is Wednesday, July 3rd, and I'm standing in front of the Chancellery. Um, Chancellor Angela Merkel's office is in Berlin, about an hour's train ride from Frankfurt. And today, there's a group of about 20 people waving at least six German flags. Many of them have driven here from Frankfurt's surrounding villages to bring their frustrations to the capital. They're singing and holding blue signs that say, Dictator Chancellor, step down now, and Merkel must go. The organizer and leader of the group, his name is Franz Wiese, tells me that it's their 200th gathering here. That's Franz. He represents Frankfurt Oda and its surrounding areas. They've been coming every Wednesday for the past four years. He's 66, and he's representative in the state parliament for the far-right anti-refugee party called Alternative for Germany, or AFD. He organizes members to protest against Merkel's politics. Although he's originally from the southern state, Bavaria, his rhetoric specifically addresses Germans from the former East. Franz is saying, quote, 
There are many among you who suffered under the system, the Stasi and who knows who is all in the government. He means the former East German secret police. None of the people I talk to trust the government. And the person they trust least of all is Chancellor Merkel. Now they're yelling, Merkel muss weg, Merkel must go. Not only because she's part of a system they think is corrupt, but also because of her decision to let in refugees. He's saying she never asked the German people. He doesn't buy the humanitarian reasons that Merkel has cited in defense of her decision. He says wars in places like Syria and Afghanistan are just internal conflicts that we shouldn't meddle with. Least of all, take in the refugees that are being rejected by all other countries. There's another reason that a lot of AFD members don't want refugees in Germany. They're too costly. They say Germany has to pay so much money just to get them settled. It's not an investment they want to make. Back in the suburbs of Frankfurt-Oder, in Thomas and Franka's kitchen, I asked Thomas about Schäfer and about why he thinks that some Germans are so resistant to the idea of a diverse society. And he named some of the usual culprits that we hear about in the U.S. too, like a lack of jobs and resources and the fear that refugees will take those away. But Thomas thinks that there's another, even bigger barrier to integration. Even 30 years after German reunification, East Germans themselves haven't been integrated. Why? Yeah, they speak, they speak German. 